Hello guys, in today's cultural with you are Ricardo and Andre. And today we hope that nothing will sabotage our recording because we are making a program about legendary Beastie Boys. And let's also hope that no one makes some noise. Oh yeah, and we will be able to record without any noises. Because we are now in a special situation, so we have to record from our flat. So you probably will hear something from the kitchen, something from the outside, because their cars are passing by, someone is still walking, and so it's not our fault. Yes, it's not us making noise. noise. And it's in line with the program we're going to make. Yes. <laughs> But why did we choose this topic? And how? How? Do you remember how? I don't I remember why, but don't remember how. <laughs> <laughs> Because we have this kind of habit sometimes that we are in the kitchen having dinner or lunch and we put on videos. On oh YouTube. yeah, yeah, now I remember. Usually we put stupid videos, funny videos, trash videos, but once it was dinner and we were eating and Andrea put a specific video on his mobile phone and it was the one of make some noise, but the long version. Yeah, the 30-minute one. Yeah, and so we were watching this video and we're like, you know, maybe we can do something about it. Yes. Something out of it. Yes. And also the second reason, because today, the 24th of April, the documentary about Beastie Boys comes, directed by Spike Jones, who also directed the video Sabotage. And that's why we also do this Our Little Documentary. So you can listen to us and then go to see the movie. Because this movie is made like it's a live documentary where two surviving members of Beastie Boys are telling the story of Beastie Boys being on scene. So I guess they will tell you more than us, but still. Well, because we just have one hour. <laughs> yeah, and you guys will come ready to listen their story after our story. Yeah, and you mentioned sabotage yes. like a few times. And you know that Beastie Boys really don't like that song? No, why? Because they say this is not a radio song and it was like broadcasting in the radios like several times and one of them said well if I'm listening to the radio and I'm in my car the last song I will put is Sabotage. <laughs> well interesting. Also there is an interesting fact about this video which made me laugh because uh, Adam Yao and Mike D wore glue-on facial hair in the video for Sabotage and according to director Spike Jones, they were supposed to grow their own but Yao just forgot, that's an interesting reason and Mike D can't grow any. Well, I shared this problem with Mike D so I would... <laughs> Come on, can you see my face? <laughs> so I would also have to glue on some facial hair if I were in Sabotage but also if you are interested, just search in Google Sabotage Kids and there you will see a cute version of like a cover on the video of Sabotage but with kids as main characters. It's like really cute and really funny and really great tribute to Adam Yao about whom we will tell you also later. Later, yeah. So let's start with the name because Beastie Boys. Why Beastie Boys? Do you know what it means? Yeah, I know that Beastie is an acronym but tell us. Yeah. And it was invented by the former member of Beastie Boys, John Barry. And it's, as you said, an acronym for the phrase Boys entering anarchist states towards inner excellence. Imagine if they had their Boys. name like <laughs> written oh, <laughs> all over. But actually Beastie Boys is like a great name in my opinion. And it's great name for the first reason. It's great name to remember the band. 
because when you hear Beastie Boys, of course, some people may like mix them with Backstreet Boys. Boys. Or Maybe. like I do. <laughs> Limbiskit da. Yeah, like Let's Ricardo does. story about <laughs> to all our listeners because it's very funny. Yesterday we were like sharing our informations about this group and then I said, okay, I found a lot about Limbiskit. Yeah, and I was surprised and scared because we had to prepare the program about Beastie Boys, but... But I have to admit, dear listeners, that I always confuse Limbiskit with Beastie Boys for no reason. Well, and the second reason why this name I think is great, because before I knew the acronym I thought Beastie is like something connected with Beast and they like make this great music, they like the beasts of music for me and that's why the Beastie Boys I think is a great name and I would like to share the story of how I first found out about Beastie Boys it was I think I was around seven or eight years old and MTV still was a music channel which was a great era. And there first I saw the video to Body Moving, which is a great one. And the second video was Intergalactic, which is also the great one. And actually when I first saw the video Intergalactic, I didn't know that it was inspired and was partially a parody of the Japanese kaiju series Johnny Soko and his flying robot. The series that I never heard about before the Beastie Boys. <laughs> Me neither. And seeing the image is like... <laughs> <laughs> yes, pretty strange, like low budget. So Beastie Boys were on not only popularizing rap music, rock music in their own country, they were also popularizing Japanese series around the world. About flying robots. <laughs> About flying robots, yeah. Of course, then I didn't know English at all, so I didn't know about what they were singing, but the rhythm of body moving, it was so catchy even when you are a child and you just could repeat this body moving, body moving, <laughs> even now not understanding that what does it mean. So the greatness of Beastie Boys is so big that even being a Russian child in a Russian city, you got like it uh, resonated with your soul, yeah, and with your mind and you like got it into your head and you were repeating, repeating, repeating and you were spreading it. And then the second time when I came back to Beastie Boys was actually in NBA 2K9, the video game. They had one of their songs as a soundtrack and I remember there was this game mode where you could play like one-on-one -on -one in the empty playground. And then uh, like it's an empty playground somewhere in the city, some American city, and you hear on the background playing the song Root Down and this was just like amazing atmosphere as you imagine yourself how people play basketball outside and while the music is playing. Yeah, I imagine like with the big stereos. Oh yeah. And what about you? How did you find out about well, Beastie Boys? Well, it's similar to your story because of course when I was a child and MTV was still a thing, the amazing channel it was, I was watching MTV all day long because we didn't have internet at that time. Yes. So to listen to my favorite songs, I always watched a program. It was called TRL. So I was just there and waiting for my favorite songs. And once Sabotage appeared, and I remember to have been like captured from the video. And I'm still waiting for the movie of the trailer. Oh yeah. Because the Sabotage <laughs> video starts like, forgive me, the intro of Naked Gun. <laughs> yes. It's like, but it's very catchy. Mm -hmm. Really, really catchy. And there is a story that makes sense. So I think that all the fans are waiting for the movie of this trailer. Yeah, I think so too. Well, 
but I think we won't see it. No. Yeah, but we will see the documentary actually, so <laughs> some movie with Beastie Boys we will see. And who knows, maybe there will be something about the video. More maybe, yeah. Yeah, why not? Because Spike Jones directed the video and Spike Jones directed this documentary movie. And they are also full of surprises. So you never know what's going on with Beastie Boys. Oh, never. Last day I was like looking through the history of Beastie Boys, how they were burned, all the stuff, and I found out that some critics said that Beastie Boys were like the roots for some bands such as Rage Against the Machine, LL Cool J, or even Public Enemy. So what do you think about it? Well, I think they paved the way for a lot of bands, not only these ones. And also, uh, when Adam Yao died, MCA died, I was watching some videos from the concerts of some black rappers, and they were also tributing and saying thank you to the Beastie Boys who made even for them their careers possible, who showed them the way how you should do music, who showed them that hardcore music and rap music, they not always have to be separate. That can they coexist. Yeah, they can coexist. And I think that Beastie Boys also showed the world through the music that the things you think are not mixable, you can mix them and you can get something awesome from them. They broke another wall, not just that one, because they broke the stereotype wall of the hip-hop. You may say that all the famous people from the hip-hop or from the rock were poor before and they had like a really sad background, sad stories, drugs and whatsoever. But no, because Beastie Boys were actually from the middle class, quite rich, from New York, and they proved that you don't have to be like this. So they tried and they succeeded. So Uh, now that we have given our opinion on some topics about Beastie Boys and made some introduction to you, let's go to the biography and then maybe put some interesting facts in it. So, because that's what the program is about. You would like to learn about Beastie Boys. So, the Beastie Boys are inextricably associated with the street smart attitude and urban swagger of New York City where they were raised. The roots of the Beastie Boys date back to 1981, 11 years prior to my birth. <laughs> Formed as a hardcore quartet, the original lineup compromised Mike D, Mike Diamond, who was in the Beastie Boys that everybody knows yeah. also, drummer Kate Schellenbach and guitarist John Barry, who'd all belonged to an early group called the Young Aborigines. And MCA, of course, Adam Yao. Adam Yao has the Beastie Boys members say he was like the moving power of the band, the creative one who was also thinking about a lot of things and Mike D and Ed Rock didn't have to think about it. So I guess I'll say more about it when we get to Adam Yao. Yeah, But because yeah. I also read that someone thinks that when he passed he took Beastie Boys with him. Yeah, in one of the interviews actually, I don't remember, Mike D or Ed Rock said that somebody asked them that will you record as Beastie Boys? And he said no, the Beastie Boys were the three of us. So now the Beastie Boys is gone with Adam Yao and I think it's a great move because I don't like when you know some member of the band dies and they take some new guy and they continue performing as with the name of this band and you like feel that something isn't right. Yes, I mean, I had this kind of feeling with Alice in Chains because Lane Stanley died, but they decided to go on. So they just took another singer, but it's not Alice in Chains anymore. Yeah. You can feel from the sound, from the voice, from the depth of the songs, not like that. So I totally agree with this decision. 
The first performance of Young Aborigines was at Yao's 17th birthday party. This lineup recorded an 8-song debut AP Polyvox 2, released in 1982 on the Red Cage label. It contained their hardcore manifesto Beastie Boys. Then they invited their friend Ed Rock, Adam Horowitz, who was in a band called The Young and the Useless. <laughs> That's a great name, I think. <laughs> to join when Barry left. The slightly revised foursome cut a 12-inch single, Cookie Puss, Beastie Revolution, released in 1983. This comical rants attracted attention and got them some jigs. Over the next years, the Beastie Boys evolved from an instrument-trashing hardcore group to a full-on rap act. Schellenbach moved to the group Lucius Jackson and the surviving Beasties Mike D, MCA and King Ed Rock, later shortened to Ed Rock, I think for the best, <laughs> became a three-man posse of MCs with DJ accompaniment. A friend of theirs, New York City student Rick Rubin, aka DJ Double R, was an early turntablist for the Beastie Boys before becoming a world-renowned record producer and label mogul. Speaking about their early ages, in the interview to the New York Times, Horowitz said that we were like 15 years old and we go see bands and a lot of the bands were like hardcore punk bands. I had a guitar and I knew a couple chords and you realized you could play that Ramon song and it's like, Jesus, every Ramon song is just that? I could do that. The only accessible music that we could possibly do would be hardcore. Even punk seemed sophisticated. But some people think that they are punk. I don't agree with this because I don't separate them from punk or from rap. It's like they have everything in their <laughs> music, so you can't say only one genre for them. They above genres, I think. Even they had like jazz music and, yeah. and rock music and uh, punk and rap. So that's just Beastie Boys genre. That's not the spe some specific genre. Yeah, but who says they're punk? Says it because they went against Bush. They did it also before 9-11, but after 9-11 they started to write songs against Bush, so maybe that was punk. Mm -hmm. Well, it may be the way they behaved, because in the trailer to the documentary they say that they went on to, like, from making fun of those, you know, party crashers to becoming one of them. and. Uh, that was the point where they had to think about how they want to live further. And maybe that's why they called punks, because of their punk behavior, yeah, were, like trashing yeah, everything. Trashing the guitars. Yeah. But they changed them. They are so straight because they pass from throwing guitars from the stage to embracing the Tibetan mm -hmm. issue. But we we're gonna talk about that later. Uh -huh. So, continuing with... Uh, their biography. In 1984, Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons launched the Def Jam label and the Beastie Boys' next 12-inch single, Rock Hard, was among its initial releases. Based on their growing up buzz, Madonna tapped the Beastie Boys at the opening act on her spring 1985 Virgin Tour. That was actually the first big stage appearance for the Beastie Boys, playing before Madonna. Can you imagine them playing with Madonna? Actually, no. No, because I, I was I yesterday watching all the videos about Beastie Boys and knowing that they performed with Madonna, I was like, why? How, how it happened? Well, maybe it was also an experiment and like for Madonna too and for them to mix these types of music. Well, I have to say that Madonna experiments a lot. Uh -huh, and she has, she had also, that was one of her experiments, I guess. Yeah, because she had also an appearance with Gogol Bordello, which is really hard to imagine, but they did. <laughs> well, 
the group's third 12-inch single, She's On It, was featured in the hip-hop film Crush Groove. Have you ever heard of no. this film? No, me neither. Sorry, guys. The flip side, Slow and Low, was given to them by Run DMC, who also tapped the Beastie Boys as a support act, along with LL Cool J and Houdini, on their 1986 Raising Hell tour. It was rap's first big-budget tour, and the Beastie Boys was in it, in the first rap's big-budget tour. Uh, the, the other person with whom Beastie Boys worked was Slayer's Carrie King, who plays the guitar on the Beastie Boys' No Sleep Till Brooklyn. But he didn't get along with the Beasties, not like Madonna or Run DMC, for example. According to Rick Rubin, I don't think he liked the song. I don't think it spoke to his aesthetic. And honestly, in retrospect, I don't think he really spoke to the Beasties' aesthetic. They didn't really like him either. It was kind of mutual. Then the Beastie Boys brashly announced themselves to the world with the full-length License to Ill in 1986, a milestone rap-rock release. It contained a feisty statement of purpose, the new style, and the boisterous Genix anthem, You Gotta Fight for Your Right to Party, a top 10 hit later described by MCA as the joke that went too far. <laughs> I wish I had such jokes. <laughs> <laughs> it turned into the party rock anthem of the 80s. And I actually think it still can be a party rock anthem for a lot of people. Well, for us... Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. Well, now we can't fight for our right to party. <laughs> no, but no, we can fight for our right. right to party, but we can also lose. Yes. That's what we are doing now. <laughs> and Reco's video they made for the song, intended as nothing more than a goof, in MCA's words, became a staple of MTV, establishing the Beastie Boys as poster boys for rude, obnoxious fun. Other songs on the album, including She's Crafty, Paul River, Girls, No Sleep Till Brooklyn and Brass Monkey, reinforce the notion of the Beastie Boys as a threesome obsessed with girls, rhymes and good times. Rubin's hook-minded production and galvanizing bursts of guitars and drums gave the album a force full sound. It was a rap album that rock fans could get into. On tour, the Beastie Boys reveled in Bacchanalian excess. Their stage props included a dancing cage and the 20-foot hydraulic penis. <laughs> and one more thing about License to Ill, it was a pop culture phenomenon, becoming the first rap album to reach number one. It topped Billboard's album chart for seven weeks and has sold more than 9 million copies in the US alone, making it among the best-selling rap albums ever. License to Ill wasn't also their first album and one of their most successful albums, but it also had some interesting things about it. First of all, on the cover of this album there is a jet, and on the jet's wing uh, you can see a Mark III MTA3 that reads backwards as Eat Me. So Beastie Boys were approving their status of scandalous musicians right from the start, even in their covers of their albums. So guys, did you notice this secret message? Because I did not. Yeah, me neither. That was just yesterday. While I was researching, I found it. Is this one the only secret message that they have? Or there are any others? I never saw any other secret messages, but there is actually one message they, they, that they wanted to send by the name of the album License to Yield, the alternative name. Uh, they intended to name their debut album Don't Be a Curse Word <laughs> until Columbia forced them to change it. 
Uh, and the band's early homophobia and misogyny are well documented. They spent much of the rest of their career working to reverse the attitude, uh, we, about which we will speak a little bit later. And also, someone says, some critics said that License to Ill remains the world's only punk rock rap album superior to Nevermind the Bollocks. So it was like a cultural thing. Yes, this album. a cultural phenomenon. But you know that in Italy no one knows, almost no one knows Beastie Boys. And why? Well, basically I don't know really why. Maybe because our music genre is so different from that one, maybe our generation couldn't relate mm -hmm. to Beastie Boys. But if you go to someone and say, do you know Beastie Boys? They know the name. And if you say, do you know a song? They will not know even Sabotage. But Fight for Your Act to Party? No, not no, even. Not wow. But yeah, it... because yesterday I was speaking to my friends and they were saying, okay, what do you record tomorrow? Mm -hmm. I will record a cultural about Beastie Boys. What? Who? Come on. <laughs> Beastie Boys, Sabotage, Fight for Your Right to Party. Yeah. No. And also, speaking about this album, uh, License to Ill, Beastie Boys sometimes were accused about being uh, homophobic or misogynist in their songs and one of the songs of this album girls they have this line like girls to do the dishes to clean up my room and of course it's a joke of them like it's not a serious one but nowadays listening to it you hear this misogynist vibe in this song <laughs> <laughs> and they also in their interview to New York Times, they also say that, yes, we know that it was bad, but we learned that lesson, we grew up, and when one of the songs on Sure Shot, Adam Yao had a line that the disrespect of women has got to be through. So that's like, they manifested that they will never use this, like, lyrics, and they also said that we were blank. <laughs> Uh, we really could have handled this better, but maybe we had to be like this to learn our lesson. They were able to like defeat it, to to defeat these lyrics of theirs, and to move on and make some other really great songs without being any of these bad things, but becoming the one of the greatest bands ever played. That ever played. After this criticism about this song and all this misogynist stuff, did they perform the song even in the latest concert or not? They just stopped playing that. At first, because I wouldn't stop. I mean, okay, it's the past, but it's one of my my songs, mm -hmm. and of course, it was a joke. But people now get offended like very easily. Uh, actually, Adam Horowitz has the answer, like because they were asked about if in their book, the Beastie Boys book, yeah. there will be this thing about their bad lyrics, and Adam Horowitz said, "Yes, we can't not bring that up. It's a big part of our story to us because for a long time we didn't play Fight for Your Right to Party. We didn't play any of those songs." License to Ill was like a cold and we took so much vitamin C that we'd never get that cold again. But then we realized that you can't separate good from bad, that it's not all. What's the expression? Cut and dried? Like, yes, they didn't play that songs for some time, but then they understood that they can play them. Because that was their history, their bad history, but yeah, that was their history. So, yes, they haven't played it for some time, but then they get got back to it. And what do you think about it? Because imagine you are a Beastie Boys mm -hmm. and you have to face this situation. I would have played the song anyway. 
Yeah, me either. Also, Adam Horowitz added that now they're using fancy words. <laughs> so maybe, yeah, maybe I would change some a little bit of lyrics, but still play the songs because songs are great. So just to connect what you said about Lessons to You, I would like to say some incredible facts about Beastie Boys, because there is one related to Lessons to You. And I don't know if you, dear listeners, know about it, but before Lessons to Ill was released, the Beastie Boys considered kicking Mike D out of the band. And according to Adam Dublin, which was the co-director of Fight for Your Right to Party, it was only by a pretty slim margin that they kept him in. And uh, it's great that they kept him in, because after that we got a great, great band. And uh, in the trailer they also said that they had this privilege and they were happy to be the people who work every day with their best friends. The great uh, art of the Beastie Boys comes also because of their chemistry that they had. And because if you do the job you love, because they were doing the job they loved, with your best friend, there is nothing yeah yeah nothing better this is like the best thing in the world oh yeah that's true so now let's continue with the biography while yeah while the license to ill typecast the beastie boys as party animals the group exploded any notions of one dimensionally with its ambitions follow-up paul's boutique in 1989 Having fallen out with Rubin and Def Jam in the wake of License to Yield's stratospheric success, the Beastie Boys now found themselves on a new label, Capital, with a different set of producer collaborators, the Dust Brothers. Also, it didn't sell as well as its predecessor. Paul's Boutique was a dizzyingly brilliant, sample-heavy collage that has been called the pet sounds and dark side of the moon of hip-hop. A kaleidoscopic montage of quick-cut samples and smart mouse peel drawn from seemingly every corner of the pop cultural spectrum, from Johnny Cash to the glam rock group Sweet. Paul's Boutique attained the status of critically revered masterpiece. It's safe to say that nobody has ever made a more unexpectedly brilliant sophomore blast than the Beastie Boys, wrote Rolling Stone's Rob Sheffield in a retrospective re-review. It's a celebration of American junk culture that is still blowing minds today. So, I have some facts about Paul's Boutique. Okay. If you want to know, because of course. prior to the making of Paul's Boutique, probably no one knows that Adam Yao had a rock band. Did you know about it? Mm. And this rock band was called Brooklyn, and it was with Daryl Jennifer of Bad Brains. Yeah, I think I heard something about that yeah, band. Yeah, and they recorded, they say, an album's worth of classic rock-inspired demos. Then, in the 90s, Beastie Boys released three more albums, Check Your Head in 1992, Ill Communication 1994, and Hello Nasty, along with a smattering of EPs. With these releases, the Beastie Boys, who are competent instrumentalists, develop a self-contained style of writing and recording that involved collective jamming, individual composing, sampling, revising and assembling. The Beastie Boys, assisted by keyboardist Money Mark, studio hand Mario Caldato Jr. and turntablist DJ Hurricane and mixmaster Mike, performs most of the music while integrating an array of samples beats the witty wordplay into an ever-intriguing sonic smorgasbord. Actually, I would like to speak about Hello Nasty, because it's an interesting name of the album for me. And it's also said to be the best Beastie Boys album. Hello Nasty. Hello Nasty. I will tell you a little about the origins of Hello Nasty. 
The title of the Beastie Boys album Hello Nasty was inspired by the way a receptionist answered the phone at the Beastie's publicity company Nasty Little Man. She'd pick up the phone and say Hello Nasty. The title inspired J.J. Abrams to create the character L.O.S.T. in Star Wars The Force Awakens. Oh, I didn't know about it. Yes, so Beastie Boys continued to influence the modern culture in the 2010s with their album from 1998. And you wouldn't be able to connect these dots, like from Beastie Boys to Star Wars. No. There it is. I mean, I watched Star Wars. And you didn't think about... Didn't think at all about (laughs) L.O.S.T. Yes. The Beastie Boys' unconventional mythology represented a unique hybrid of rock and hip-hop approaches and the painstaking process involved meant that the years passed between releases. In fact, the Beastie Boys released only one vocal album, To the Five Burrows, in 2004, in the first decade of the 21st century. However, the Beastie Boys released a few all-instrumental projects along the way including 2007's The Mix-Up, which won a Grammy for Best Pop Instrumental Album. Also, although they came intermittently, the Beastie Boys albums were packed with music. Check Your Head, Ill Communication and Hello Nasty each contained 20 or more tracks, which is really great and comparing to nowadays albums, a lot of albums have like around 10... Nowadays, the maximum songs you have is 12. 12, yeah, maybe 14. Yeah, 14 if you are like if you have a lot of ideas. Yeah, but the Beastie Boys albums contained 20 or more tracks. So that's, I think, a really great albums that... Because nowadays, you know, you listen to some new album and you just get in to feel it. And then it's like, bam, 12 yeah, songs and it's finished. You can't drown in this music. But in Beastie Boys music, you could drown into these 20 or more tracks. You could spend a lot of time having a lot of good quality time. And also, maybe you wait along for that album to go out and you find six songs, mm-hmm. five, yes, ten. So you're like, seriously? <laughs> yes. So finally someone that knows our needs, that we need a damn 20 songs album. Yes, that's actually speaking a lot about them as a people who think about their fans because they make a lot of material for their fans and their fans can enjoy their music even more. It's not about only them making songs but about them making songs for their audience and it's also great. And also make videos for their audience. Yes. Because to me, like make some noise See, it's made for them, because I think they had a lot of fun making that. But also for fans, because as a fan, I really, really loved watching that. Oh yeah, me too. And even the extended version, like, you don't get bored. Oh no, because you, it's you just... You laugh a lot. Yeah, and it just keeps moving, moving, and then dynamic, and the rhythm, and this video, and the song, and the changes of the melody, how they change, how they experiment with it, and also the picture that you see with all these famous people, and it's uh, great to like see and recognize the yeah. actors and actresses. So, who did you recognize? Because I'm not a big cinema fan, so I could <laughs> recognize just a few faces. For example, Steve Buscemi. Yes, the waiter. Yeah, Orlando Bloom. Uh, yes, the like the bomb who clears the windshield of the car for some money, yes. And then there was one of the main characters, Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood, of course, yeah. Yeah, that was not taking the, uh, the ring to Mordor, but... 
taking mess into New York. Yes. <laughs> and then there was also... But let's just... Rain Wilson, the guy who played Dwight Schrute in The Office. Ah, yes, yes, sorry, I forgot about them. Well, let's just backtrack a little bit and tell what video we're talking about. This video is called Fight for Your Right to Revisit It. In 2018, Adam Yauch directed and wrote a serial comedic short film entitled Fight for Your Right to Revisit It to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the original video's release. The short film serves as the video for the single Make Some Noise from Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. Most of the non-secular dialogue between characters were a result of improvisation by the cast. Let's say whom I knew. I knew Susan Sarandon, who is one of the, I think, of the customers in the restaurant they, they crash. Yeah. Oh, she's the one that turns the face to the left? Yes, also Alicia Silverstone and Laura Dern, I think they are also the customers in the restaurant, so this restaurant is star-packed. Yeah, <laughs> and starts serving you. Yeah, then Kirsten Dunst, where? Oh, she was one of the of those girls in the limousine. Which one? The one that smashes Elijah Wood? No, 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 no. She like the most silent of them. She just oh. enjoying herself. Yes. Also, Amy Poehler in that video. She is also, I think, the customer in the restaurant. Of course, Will Ferrell with okay, his yeah. with his uh, car uh, car. Sorry, cowbell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, it's like his trademark. The cowbell is his trademark. And also... Yeah, we forgot someone important, I think. Oh, Jack Black. Jack Black, yes, yes, wait. Well, let's say that Beastie Boys are played by Seth Rogen, Elijah Wood, as you say, and Danny McBride. Yes, of course, that, that's what we forgot. But also they meet the Beastie Boys from the future with whom they have this battle for being the real Beastie Boys. And those Beastie Boys are John C. Reilly, Will Ferrell, again, Will Ferrell <laughs> has two roles, and Jack Black, yes. Also, you will see the real Beastie Boys in this video, but we won't tell you where. So you can yeah. watch this video and find out. Also can find another stars in there, because there are like Rashida Jones in this video, and uh, Ted Danson, Jason Schwartzman, Will Arnett. Danny Croyd. Yeah, Chloe Sevigny. Also, you can see there a daughter of Adam Yao in this video. Yes. So, guys, we will leave you to it to find the real Beastie Boys because the two bands that like two bands consisting of the TV stars and movie stars they find for being the real Beastie Boys. But you also can see the real, real Beastie Boys in this video and the daughter on that. We won't tell just not to spoil you the video. So let's make this kind of little game. <laughs> yes. Whom you will see. Whom you will see. Yes. And where you can see the real Beastie Boys, in which scene, we want the minute. So guys, watch the video, it's 29 minutes, and then, if you have the answer, write on Facebook, under our post, who you spotted, and the exact minute. But please don't watch on the comments on YouTube. Yes. <laughs> because this is called cheating. Yeah, and don't ruin this experience for yourself. Yeah. yeah, just... I mean, I had a lot of fun yesterday, like, watching the video and trying to spot everyone. And when <laughs> I saw Steve Buscemi, my face was like, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> him as a waiter is, like, phenomenal. I, like, showed this video 
at the end of every party that we had at my place in Russia because when the party is dying off you're just sitting and watching videos maybe yeah and I was like yeah let's watch this one because it's so cool and like 30 minutes of the party is also killed by this video but killed greatly so let's end with the biography and then we can go further with this topic. For To The Five Burrows, Beastie Boys returned to their New York City roots, recording at their own studio in downtown Manhattan. In 2011, 20 years after the release of License to Yield, the trio released Hot Sauce Committee Part 2, their eighth full-length album. The group that virtually invented rap rock has maintained its relevance with cool grooves and razor-sharp rhymes with each release. And this now the sad thing. On May 4th, 2012, Adam Yao, MCA, died of cancer only at the age of 47. And that when the Beastie Boys actually ceased to exist, like physically. Yeah. Of course, they will exist forever in their art and in their songs, in the videos from their performances, in their video clips. But yeah, nowadays you won't hear any new tracks from Beastie Boys, because without Adam Yao. And as I already said, the Beastie Boys, speaking about Adam Yao in the interview to the New York Times about the book, Adam Horowitz says that writing this book was blank said there is no way to get around it. How are you supposed to end this book? Me and Mike sitting here, me and Mike going to the movies. There are so many Dwayne The Rock Johnson movies we haven't seen yet. And Mike Diamond at what was sweet about it was to be able to go back and, the, and to mind these stories that he was beyond integral to. That was a gratifying thing, something we miss every single day. I don't know how we could do this without any degree of honesty, without having that sadness and that loss. And then Adam Horowitz finishes it, I think, with a great line. There is no way around it. He started the band. And they were saying this throughout all the videos, all the interviews, that Adam Yauch was the creator. He was the one who had all the thinking and they didn't have to do anything. Yeah, because to Adam sample, sabotage, intergalactics, were his ideas. Yes. And Both the songs and the videos too. Yeah, and also... Even as though uh, Spike Jones directed mm -hmm. Sabotage, but it was uh, Yao Helias. And also, as we said already, he directed the Fight for the Right Revisited yeah. in 2011, being like gravely sick already, because he died a year after, after that. that. And he had the power, you know, that's the power of inspiration, I think, that moved him to make this video. And for me, it was a really, really sad news and it was a shocker because I didn't know that he was sick in the first place. And then I was just sitting and I think it was Twitter and I just read it that Adam Yao died and I was like, what? How because, yeah, how it's possible because they're like so young, 40, 50, that's not much. And then bam and the Beastie Boys were finished. Him, yeah. yeah, and that actually was the third time when I came back to Beastie Boys and I'm still with them. I'm still like listening, not every day, but once a week I think I listen to a song or two. So yeah. And now personal question. Ooh. What's your favorite song and album from Beastie Boys? Oh my god, I think my favorite album will be License to Ill. Yes. I won't be original in it, but my favorite song will be She's On It. Because this song I also like for this video, they have this 
funny video uh, where you can laugh also. I also love this rhythm of the song and this rock vibes in it, but also this rap and I love how they rapping in this song and how their voices go up, down. So I guess, yeah, the she's on it song. And what about you? Well, I have to say that for the song, I have sweet memories of Sabotage because it was the first one. It may be mainstream, but the first love is unforgettable, as they say. But of course, I love also other songs, but if I have to listen to Beastie Boys, the first song I put is Sabotage. Also for the video. Yeah, but, well, maybe I also, it's hard, yeah, to say, but also I would add Body Moving as my favorite song, yeah, because it was the first one, yeah, and, like, what you hear the first, it engraves into your yeah, brain. because it will affect the thinking yes. of the band. Yes, yes. If I wouldn't like Sabotage, I wouldn't like any other song, because I wouldn't get into that, so that's why. And for what about concerns the album? I have to say that my favorite album is kind of strange because it's the in sound from way out. Because it shows how Beastie Boys are not just rock hip hop. Mm -hmm. They can do every genre because, okay, we say they are genius, but they were really genius also with the instruments. They were like, not just like hip hopper, normal hip hopper or rapper. Yes. They were really amazing. And this album is. Jets funk, instrumental rock, we can say. They have everything. And here it's shown also their love for exotic stuff. Mm -hmm. Because if really fans may know, maybe, that they love something exotic. As yes. we can, we will see later with the Tibet or Gandhi. Because mm -hmm. they have some pictures with Gandhi. Yes, yes, I, I read about it here also. Yeah, and there are like some songs with exotic name, for example, Sabrosa, then Namaste, Shambhala. So it's kind of different from the usual Beastie Boys that we've seen like in Hello Nasty or Aglio e Olio. So it's really good and I suggest it to everyone. And finishing the topic of Adam Yao death, the sad topic, I would say some mystical thing that hit me when I was rewatching Buddy Moving after his death because he died of the cancer that is in his that was in his throat and in one of the videos in the Buddy Moving video he is the person who gets beheaded and so it's like a mystical fact that they wow. cut his head yeah his neck but then he reappears with just uh, with just a bandage on his neck yes so like the symbol to ease the pain so it's like a really really not the symbol to ease the but it's just a really mystical coincidence that he was the one who was beheaded in the video and then he had the cancer right there where, where he was, he was beheaded. beheaded yes so about Yao because we said a lot but we didn't finish to say because there is a lot to say about him yes because he was the genius of the band but maybe people don't know that he directed a documentary about the band called awesome i the f word shot that Above all, he built the production company that released Exit Through the Gift Shop that was a documentary on the street art scene directed by Banksy. But I that also... was really interesting, so maybe he knows who Banksy is. And also I know that this documentary was also filmed with the help of the 
audience who were at the concert, they gave cameras to the audience. I wonder if you had to pay more for the ticket with the camera in your hand. <laughs> I think so, but how cool is it? Yes, and they montaged this documentary from the footage that people made for them. I would have died. Oh, me too. I imagine. So, now that we finished with the Beastie Boys biography, let's speak about some other facts that makes Beastie Boys great, not even in the music sector, but in the others. Because Beastie Boys were the internet pioneers. With an actual print publication taking up too much time, Beastie Boys still wanted to connect with their fans. Step up Ian Rogers, a fanboy who launched an online Beastie Boys FAQ in 1993. Two years later, Beasties hired him to man their online presence. They were visionary and quick to explore something new, always making it theirs instead of using what other people were doing as template, Rogers recalls. They could have worked with professionals, but instead they preferred to support a kid from Indiana they thought had some potential. Well, I think they chose to support this kid because they remembered that they some time ago were the same kids as him. And yeah, but... And most of the people forget about that. Yes, and uh, I think this, you know, this thing, they were geniuses, and they still are, because, yeah, they were not only for the experiments and for all the new things in music, but they also tried to get a lot of new things in their life, in their around their band. Also, they were uh, free-minded in the like social way, because Adam Yao made a whole generation aware of the plight of Tibetan monks. After meeting exiled Tibetans while trekking in the Himalayas in the early 90s, Yao, we just can't go away from Adam Yao, it's like Yao equals Beastie Boys, uh, threw himself into their cause, attending talks by the Dalai Lama and writing songs that incorporated his new life findings, his new understanding of the interconnectedness of things. In 1996, he organized the Tibetan Freedom Concert, a two-day benefit in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park, following it up with even bigger events in 97, 98 and 99. It was the biggest charity concert since Live Aid, Ed Rock says, of the first event, with no small sense of awe. What he did was historic. Hundreds of thousands of people had free Tibet on their tongues and heard the call for non-violence because of that guy in Beastie Boys. So, talking about Yao, because yes, we have to say that he was like the prominent figure of Beastie Boys. You were speaking about something spiritual, some fights that he had, mm -hmm. because he was like the most complex guy there. I have some spiritual facts about him. So, on Paul's Boutique, there is a song where he said, I'm starting to say what I'm feeling spiritually. And this song is Shambhala Sun. I don't know if I pronounced it correctly, but Shambhala Sun in 1995. That song was Year and a Day which gave Beastie fans a glimpse of an evolving MCA. So it was a time when the Beastie Boys were like an older brother that told you everything. So you learned what Brass Monkey was and Shadaharu had a lot of hits. About spiritual things, Adam Yao managed to have an interview with Tenzin Gyatso, which was the 14th Dalai Lama, and was published in Grand Royale issue number 3 in 1996. The discussion highlighted Buddhist concepts for the Grand Royal Raidership, celebrating compassion and equating nonviolence with resistance. As the Dalai Lama remarked in the interview, 
Some people think that being non-violent is a sign of weakness or passivity. However, I believe that violence goes against human nature and that non-violence is a sign of strength. So the importance of non-violence became one of Yao's central beliefs. So after this interview, he like really changed. And we can say that Beastie Boys also like changed all of the Beastie Boys because they had this reputation of the... The bad guys. The bad guys, the party treasures, yeah. And then they started to sing songs about some important social issues, helping the people who are very far from them, but organizing the concert in their cause and helping to raise awareness for those people. Yeah, like from the Tibetan monks. Yes, and that's actually a great transformation for the band. Yeah, because they managed to wash out the image of the bad guys smashing everything. Yes. And there was a moment in the Beastie Boys career when Yauch smashes his handgun with a sledgehammer. So that's, I think, the real moment when they decide to change. That they were not them. So let's move on. No violence as in the interview with the Dalai Lama and starting a new life. And it's good because music is the most important instrument to spread news or feelings or fights. So if someone as important as BC Boys shares something with their music, it will get into everyone's mind. And that was my deep thought of the day. Cool, cool. So, and another fact about Adam Yauch uh, and uh, his influence on the band and on the guys who were with him in the band. Adam Yauch hand wrote a clause in his will that states that the Beastie Boys music should not be used for commercial licensing. The clause reads, in no event may my image or name or any music or any artistic property created by me be used for advertising purposes. When asked if this is true, Mike D said, yes, it was really important thing to Yauch and that was a really important stance. And it's interesting that Yao, even after his death, he wanted to keep their music like music, like art, uh, and not be it be used for, for the commercial. Because nowadays, for example, in Russia, there is a commercial of one of the beers, famous beers, and it's associated with the Blur's song too, because they use it in that commercial. So. I think it's a great move, so the music of Beastie Boys will be associated with Beastie Boys, but not with them, with some, maybe chocolate, chewing gum or beer and so yeah, on. Yeah, like for example the song You Never Can Tell, that in Italy is associated to a commercial of a cheese, but no one knows that it's Chuck Berry's song. Yeah. So you will always recall in your mind the product that they sell you and not the song. Not so the you're song. gonna buy the product and not the album. Yeah, and when you will hear this song somewhere else, you will say that, oh my god, it's from the commercial, yeah. and not from the artist. So now maybe we can speak a little bit about the book that guys Adam Horowitz and Mike Diamond wrote, the Beastie Boys book, which opens up a lot on the uh, art of Beastie Boys and their lives. And it's a really big book. Yeah, it's... it has... 400? Uh, yeah, I think 500. 500 Yeah, pages. because it's full of photos that Spike Jones took. They're all in the book. And uh, speaking about this book, Mike Deed said that Adam Yao, when they were kids growing up, he loved The Kids Aren't Alright, the Who documentary, and for him it was like an obsession. So he was interested 
when they were working on Hot Sauce Committee or even a little before that on gathering up archival material into a documentary type project. Then there was talk of somebody doing a book on the band, so we were sort of like, we should get out, get our act together and do it. Then Yao died and we were too sad and it was definitely not the time for us to touch it. And then we got back into it and it went through different manifestations. We started with the idea of getting people who were around the band and our friends and people who were involved at different points telling the story. And they didn't want this book to be like typical rock autobiography. As Mike Diamond said, I didn't want it to sound like I got on the bus one day and there was a boy playing guitar and it turned out to be John Lennon. And also yeah, it's they, boring. Yes, and also they didn't want to this book like be like 20 pages for our personal life, 20 pages for this type, uh, this uh, era of our career, 20 pages for this. For the songs. Yes. Famous ones. Okay, I woke up and I have that idea. Yes, because in 2018 when the were writing the book. You can just Google all that stuff and write your own book about yeah. Beastie Boys. So they wanted to make this book about what they remembered, about their personal stuff about Beastie Boys, personal thoughts about Beastie Boys. And that's what the audience wants. Yes, of course. Because I don't care about the career. I want to know some personal facts, feeling about concert maybe. Yes. That's what I'm craving for. And the memories, of course, yeah. the memories. And they were also asked, uh, was there a difference in the their remembrings? They said that there were no difference, but they were surprised how little they can remember <laughs> about it, how all the time flew and how they just didn't have the recollection of it. So we hope that you got more interested in Beastie Boys because of our today's program that you will maybe listen to some of their music to get to know them if you didn't know them then you maybe will read their biography or watch the documentary made by Spike Jones. I will certainly do that or maybe buy an album yeah why not that's also a possibility but we really really hope that you will get in touch with Beastie Boys because it's a big big part of modern culture and If you didn't hear it, you just, I think, losing the part of the modern human culture, how the all these mixed genres in music were born, because the Beastie Boys were one of the first who made this possible. Yeah, so if you like Linkin Park, if you like Rage Against the Machine, well, you have to listen to Beastie Boys, because without them, you wouldn't been able to listen to, to the other bands. To, yeah, They to were like the, a pioneer. Yes. So, guys, thank you for listening to our cultural podcast. And don't forget to put like on our social pages. Yeah. So, EVS Mushtar FM on Facebook and EVS Mushtar FM on, on Instagram. Instagram. Yes. And, of course, you can listen to us in Anchor or Spotify or some other podcast platforms that you prefer, just look for us. Yeah. Or you can come here in Nirejasa and listen to us from our room directly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.